it, it really speaks to what the Christmas story is, is that the foundation of why it's so incredible and why we all have all this history of songs and the depth of culture around it is because Christmas came into a very hard time and then Jesus came and he was the light of the world and that no matter your circumstance, it can be the most wonderful time of the year. Not because of what's happening around you, but what, what has happened and what we have now in all of it. And so I want us to be able to lean in and experience Christ together because we as Christ followers proclaim that he is the light of the world no matter your circumstances. And we always have hope. And, and so we want to experience that this Christmas. And today as we continue, I'm really excited to share uh, part of this Christmas story and bring some really interesting context into it that I think speaks to all of us. And I today I'm hoping for... For those of you who are here with us that maybe are seeking faith or seeking God, that this is a place for you to come and to engage. Maybe some of you are kind of re-engaging. Maybe you've grown up in church in the past or you've experienced something or maybe you were pushed away or maybe, you know, you just, um, you know, wandered away for a time and you're just kind of coming back or you pushed away or you got skeptical or you had a bad church experience or maybe you met a girl away or you met a guy and it pulled you away and like there's all kinds of things or you just lost interest i, I just want to invite you or give you permission to come back and engage and so for you know all of us you're here today for some reason you're here for some reason and so you're invited to re-engage and i just want to to uh, engage a story for all of us and we're talk about uh, a character that we read about in the story, and he's really a footnote to the story of Christ, which is fascinating, but his name is Herod. Herod. And, you know, it's not a name you really hear. Uh, there's, there's other names that start with an H and everything that, that we know, but Herod is not one uh, that people have, and you'll find out why. But Herod was an interesting guy, and, I, and really it's interesting to share the circumstances. And what we know in the, in the, in the story of Christ and so all throughout Scripture, they happen in history. It's an actual part of history that we can date and see. And, and like going back, even what we call our Old Testament Scriptures, lines up. And then, you know, everything that happened when Jesus was here is a, a written about time in history. And so it's fascinating when you begin to tie the, the, the story of Christmas to it. And so I'm going to talk about Herod, and just to keep in the back of your mind, there's, there's actually a little bit, a little Herod in all of us. Little Herod. <laughs> there's a little Herod in all of us. For me, in me, absolutely. Herod was a king. He was a king. And you maybe never say this out loud. Maybe you would. Uh, Mariah Carey just said this out loud, but you, like, you want to be... You want to be king. You want to be queen. Mariah Carey just said, I'm the queen of Christmas, which might be true. Um, so, but like we, there's maybe a little diva in all of us. So maybe that's a better way to say it. Um, but we want that in some way or another. You want to be king or queen or marry a king or queen. Or, um, do whatever you want, when you want, to whom you want. You want to never gain weight. You want to never get old. And we want to have endless beauty or be the top of our field. All these different things. 
And we want God to help us. We do. Not compete with us. <laughs> we want him to be part of that. And so who is Herod? Like when you read the Christmas story, you read about Herod. In fact, there were many Herods. And so when you read through the entire gospel accounts of Jesus' life, there's a couple different Herods as he had sons, which you'll find more about out uh, here in just a little bit. But he was, he was a, the client king over to Judea. And he was a very smart guy. He was very talented as a king. He was bold. He was courageous. He was evil. All those different things. He, he was really good at overseeing like construction and building projects. And so he, he did that. He helped rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, which everybody actually liked. Uh, and, but his, he had a goal. He wanted to be remembered forever, eternal fame in a positive way, and to establish his lineage as king of Israel. It's really interesting to think about. And so a really interesting Herod story is how he kept his power when Rome went through, the, like maybe the climax and the whole thing of Rome. And so you've, you've possibly studied this or heard about it or watched some movie or two about this in different ways. Um, so but he was a client king of, uh, you know, he, he served Rome. So he knew he served at, he ruled at the pleasure of Rome. So being a smart political guy, he did everything he could to keep his masters happy. So who were his masters? Well, that's what's really interesting is he lived during the time of Julius Caesar. And in 44 B.C., so here's all these characters. This is great. In 44 B.C. is when uh, Julius Caesar was murdered. And so, you know, if you've read Shakespeare, he's made it famous, this whole thing, uh, E2 Brute, I think that's how you say it. You too, Brutus, is, you know, it's not, not confirmed that's actually what he said, but that's what is in Shakespeare's play. And, and so, uh, so, I mean, Julius Caesar was, was murdered. Um, then it became essentially uh, Octavius, who was, Octavian, excuse me, who was uh, his nephew, Julius Caesar's nephew. But eventually, he eventually becomes Caesar Augustus, because we also have Mark Antony, not Mark Anthony the singer, okay, Mark Antony. And uh, Mark Antony was married to Cleopatra. And so, uh, so Octavian and Mark Antony began to track down all those who had murdered, responsible for Caesar's murder. And they're like just trying to, to just take over this empire and, and keep their, their rule and all those different things. And, and so it eventually came down to these two power brokers, Octavian and Caesar, I mean, excuse me, Octavian and Mark Antony. And... And so during this time, um, you know, Herod was like, all right, Mark, Mark Antony's my guy. And so he would send lavish gifts to, by the way, I'm not an amazing historian. It's not like I am great at researching this. People do an amazing job, and I'm really thankful, and I get all this information. So anyway, just so you know. Um, but, but he would send lavish gifts to Mark Antony and Cleopatra. And the, and the Roman people... Uh, for all kinds of reasons, just did not like Cleopatra and uh, all these suspicions and everything. But uh, he, he was assuming, as he was just pledging his allegiance, that Mark Antony would stand in the end. Um, and so eventually these two, you know, Mark Antony and Octavian butt heads, and, you know, Herod bet wrong. Um, he thought he would become the number one man in Rome. But civil war broke out in 31 B.C., very short. In August, 
uh, Octavian defeated the eastern leader, who then fled to Alexandria in Egypt. Uh, so Herod had aligned himself with the losers. And he knew how Octavian dealt with his political enemies. And he really, really, really wanted to hang on to his kingdom. And so he made a very bold decision, which is really interesting. He, instead of fleeing to Egypt <laughs> or preparing for war, uh, he went straight to Octavian. He sailed to the island of Rhodes where he met him there. And he gave, apparently, a very brilliant speech. And he boasted of his loyalty to Mark Antony. He's like, I'm a very loyal guy. And, and so he was like, I pr- he promised the same exact loyalty you know, to the new Rome leader. He's like, I'm gonna, that's going to be the same for you. And, he w- and Octavian was impressed. And so he, he you know, said, affirmed his monarchy. Herod's monarchy, and even added the coast of Judea, Samaria, uh, Jericho, and Gaza, which had been independent to his realm. And so he actually gained power through this cunning political move. And so Herod's ambition controlled him. You know, as you can imagine with any kind of king, it, uh, he just did everything he could. So he had, I mean, this is crazy, but he had ten wives, he had many sons, uh, and he was essentially planning to establish these sons as king, uh, but he was just erratic and, and crazy and murderous, and so he kept changing his mind. Uh, he, he apparently changed his, his will four times, leading to different sons, um, and so he would actually be, be paranoid. He would kill his sons. It, it was crazy. He was consumed with trying to control the future. He wanted to control the kingdom from his grave protecting his name and trying to plan all that out. But it just created chaos. And in trying to control that chaos, it created more chaos and insanity. And so, like, he had two different sons, which I can't even pronounce their names correctly, but he executed them at two different times. Um, And so apparently Emperor Augustus joked that it was preferable to be Herod's kid than his son. It's crazy. And so eventually, Herod's getting to the end of his life, and when he was 70 years old, he became incredibly sick, what they're saying is a painful kidney disease, which is, that's true, it's incredibly painful. No way to, you know, have proper meds like we do now. And so he's ending, his life is ending, and he's trying to figure out how to control the future when he's dead. Like, keep going from the grave. And then it's in that circumstance, that world, that king in this time, that he got some interesting news. And for him, really disturbing news that just five miles south of him lived a toddler that was like a bomb that was going to threaten everything. And this is where I want to jump into the Christmas story. I want to read from Matthew chapter 2 and different places throughout this chapter. And in verse 1 it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, oh, we know who he is now, okay. During this time, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. All right, Magi were the, if you've, if you've, 
have been part of the Christmas story in the past. We've seen the nativity scenes. They're the wise men that travel from afar from the east. Okay, so that's who they are. They're called, they're called in scripture, they're the magi. Somewhere we call them the wise men. Um, and so they come to Jerusalem. They show up and they start asking this question. In Herod's kingdom, in this whole world, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They come asking this to people. Where's the one who's come to be born <laughs> the king of the Jews? And so, in a, in a phenomenally big understatement, the next verse says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, to say the least. And then it says this, And all Jerusalem with him. Like, yeah, everybody's freaking out. Like, he can't even assign his own you know, kids to be king and everything. Like, what is this? Like, everybody's freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, do not poke the bear. And they unknowingly, very, you know, kind of naively walk in, and they really poke the bear. And that is really interesting. Uh, this is personal to him, right? The Jews already have a king. He's like, I'm, I'm, Herod's like, I'm the one who would choose this. Uh, born king? Like, he's like, I'm made king. So this is interesting. So he called, we'll continue here. He called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So he wasn't an idiot to Jerusalem, uh, to, to Jewish culture and the promise of Messiah. He's like, so he's like, tell me about this prophecy. Uh, he asked, he, he wasn't Jewish, but he knew about the custom. And so he's like, tell, tell me about this. And so this is from Micah 5.2 in the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, that Matthew is quoting here. So they say, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so it's one of the things I love about the Christmas story is there's so many prophecies that speak to in detail of what happened hundreds of years before and to Jesus' life and his death, everything, it's amazing. His resurrection, all of that, when it happened. And so they tell him of this prophecy, this ruler come out of Bethlehem. So it says, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And so it, it took the Magi a while to get there. Uh, if you you know see the nativity seen typically the magi are part of it but and they started traveling and so they would have arrived around the time that he was a toddler maybe maybe two years old so he calls them and he's like when did all this he's getting the events and so he says he sent them to bethlehem and said go you know you can imagine how he's saying it search carefully for this child as soon as you find him report to me so that i too may go and worship him so we all know herod Right? We just had this crash course in terrible lame history. Uh, but we know Herod. We know that he's, this is not what he wants to do. Uh, he's like, so you go and you look. And he says, after they had heard the king, these super naive guys, anyway, they went on their way, and, and the star that they had seen when it, uh, when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child 
love. God is leading them here. And then this is what it says, and this is amazing. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. This is significant. The Magi, we can leave that last scripture up. The, the Magi, these were, these were very wealthy men. They obviously had, they had um, the means. They brought really expensive gifts with them that they gave. Uh, we don't think it's three, three of them, by the way, somewhere in history, because there's three gifts, or so three, we don't know. Anyway, I always like to just debunk these myths anyway. Uh, but, but they were very powerful. They had to be very powerful people. They had the ability to like leave whatever lives they had there and travel for a, a very long time and to engage this and do all these things, and they come, and so they have their own power within their own right. They have this status similar to Herod. And so then they bow down and worship him. Now, in the modern church world, we use the word worship a lot, and it's typically associated with singing. So we let's, let's come and worship. We actually try not to say that too often because singing is a part of worship, but that's not what actually worship is. Worship is a part of our entire being. And so, so singing is, is part of it. It's how we come and we worship God, but it's also about how we live. It's an entire soul person type of thing. And so worship really is recognizing that you are in the presence of someone who should cause you to have awe. And then essentially doing whatever you need to do, physically, mentally, whatever it is, to, sur- to surrender yourself or submit yourself to them. That is what real worship is. You, you're surrendering yourself to the New York Giants, not the Jets. Somebody's about to walk out right now. I'm just, you know, you guys have a better, Jets have a better chance, I think, long term this season. Anyway, <laughs> so future down the road, surrender ourselves, okay, uh, you surrender yourself to uh, fashion. That's, there's a lot to surrender there, right? So we, there's something, someone to marriage, being married, or, or status, or having money, or like there are, Things that we, you have to worship something. You have to worship someone. It's in you. God has made you to worship. It's one of the things that you have to really kind of consider deeply that you can't get away from that. And so if there's nothing there, you have to have something. And that's what worship is. You devote yourself. Like you, you guys know this. Some of you are in, really into certain subjects. And it's not bad to, be, to have hobbies and interests, by the way. But like you, you really can go in deep. Maybe as a kid, like you had Pokemon cards and you knew everything about everything. Like, like, I mean, like you can go deep into in all kinds of subjects. So worship is surrendering our all. And so these magi, they bow down like they're surrendering to this baby, this toddler. It's not just being like, they didn't sing some like, you know, 
lullaby or something. They're, 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 they're in humbling positions praying, worse lamentations. These very wealthy men, they had traveled a long way. And they're in the presence of this toddler who, who has no physical power over them, right? But because of who they believed this baby was, they dropped to their knees and worshipped. Now compare that to five miles away is Herod. And, man, he's worried. Like, his world has been disrupted by this news. And he's like, where are these guys? Have you guys been watching them? Did you find them? Did you follow them? Where are they at? Go out and watch. Get, get, you know, go around the corners. Like, find this place. And I'm sure they weren't looking for where they eventually were, but some home, somewhere. Because he's so worried about controlling things. His whole life is built around this, right? To preserve, protect, control. Preserve, protect, control. It just keeps doing that. And so with his fist clenched, Herod, he's racked with pain. He is ill. He is sick. He's not about to bow his knee to anyone. He's not about to worship anyone or anything. This is interesting because this is why I referenced this earlier. There's a little Herod in all of us. It would have been really fun if I had brought some kind of weird thing. But there's a little Herod in there. And and I say all of us, me included, because I don't mind leveraging God. We don't mind leveraging God if God's gonna help me build my kingdom that I want. So I don't mind going to church. I'll read the Bible or scriptures. Maybe say a prayer. If all these things will help me, if all these things will help facilitate my future in that place, then we're like, then I'm all for it. But the whole idea of writing God, and this is an interesting term now, a blank check. We don't like checks anymore, so we give God the password to our Venmo account. He can withdraw anytime. Like to write him, to give him the password to our account, and the whole idea of just surrendering and saying, yes, the answer is yes. Now what were you going to ask? Like that's, that doesn't come natural to anyone because there's a little Herod in all of us. <laughs> we all want to be God. So let's continue with the story. So they gave, they came miles away to worship. They gave very expensive gifts. They have followed the light, these magi. And it continues here. This is a, a verse 12. It says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So God is working in this. He is protecting. Uh, And it says that when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And this is what happened. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. So what does Herod do? 
hair becomes goes, goes hair. And it says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, who had seemed very naive, and they were, but he was furious. He was furious. And he had spent an entire life thwarting outcomes like Octavius or Octavia, like him, right? Like he's done all these things. Some baby king not about to thwart him. No way. And so he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. In this horrible event that Mary knew about, would have been people that she knew, friends, also. And this was very close to Herod's, the end of Herod's life. This is fascinating. So like a year later, Herod died. Uh, it, says, it says that he died a very painful death, so painful that he attempted suicide, but his, his cousin stopped him. Isn't that interesting? And so there's a famous historian, jo- uh, Josephus, who stated that Herod was so concerned that no one would mourn his death that he commanded a large group of distinguished men to come to Jericho, and he gave an order that they should be killed at the time of his death so the displays of grief that he craved would take place. He's like, I just want somebody grieving in Jerusalem. Like, how insane is that? Because he's like, he knew everybody would celebrate. <laughs> it's crazy. But fortunately for those men, uh, Herod's family released them when he died. Crazy. Okay. So uh, let's continue the, the, the scripture story. It says, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. He couldn't control the outcome. It's amazing. Herod, trying to create this huge legacy, became a footnote in a toddler's story. In an instant, Herod, Herod the Great became this footnote to a toddler It'd be really fun to explain that to him. All your plans, the sacrifices you made, preserve your legacy, all those things are gone. Every year we, you know, we'll read Herod's name, but not in a reference to his story, but to Christ's story. It's amazing. We're not telling his story anymore. I am today, ironically enough. That we remember him as a king who attempted to resist and extinguish the light of the world. And just like John said last week, you know, we cannot, the darkness has not overcome it. If we miss the opportunity, do you see the difference between these kings, the Magi and Herod? When they surrendered, they had everything and they said, we're yours. And then Herod attempts this. And so this is you and I as well. And so these words that I read last week, let's put these up. From John 1, 4 through 5, John had seen it all. He'd watched way more darkness come to light. Jesus had predicted the fall of Jerusalem, and that's exactly what happened. I explained all that last week. And, and, and John, in this insane darkness, proclaimed, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all men. Time, the light. 
He's switching to present tense here. It's almost like he pauses. The light shines in the darkness. And so apparently in the, in the, the way that this is written, it's saying to us is that, that it, is, it is shines even now. The, the grammar vocabulary used here, I'm not a Greek scholar, just so you know, but, like, but it says it's shining even now. So it's why you can't escape it once and for all. Like the light shines, and he says, and the darkness has not overcome it. Not when, when Jesus was born, not after, not now. And so this brings it now to us, to you and me. I, I talk so many times how you are invited into a story. Here in Jersey City, we are passionate about this city. We, we've been a church here for seven years, and we, we love this. And whether you, you, you're here for a year or you're here for 20 years, this is a place for you to come and engage with Christ and His story that He is still pursuing today in you. So what will your story be in relation to the light of the world? Will you resist or worship? Will you have built your own kingdom or participated in his kingdom? See, we want, like this little Herod, right? We want to cling to something, someone, but that will eventually be taken away. And God is calling us to surrender, to allow him to use you to do something bigger than you, something that lasts, that's eternal. He doesn't promise to make us a God and pull us up, and sometimes that can happen, but we're, we never seem that we are part of an incredible plan. We think we have, we, we live in a world that's just, you know, promoting, promoting, and saying this is the biggest thing, and this is the biggest person, and all like it just won't end, right? It's constantly happening, but it's really little. It goes away. We forget. You were made for better. You have been invited into this meta narrative of the light. And it's the greatest story that you can pursue. And it's, and it's different. Like in, and we're, God's calling us back within that. Like I, 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 I forget and I walk away. And what I do is I walk towards anxiety. When I'm trying to build my world and I'm trying to protect things, and I, God's called me to lead and, and, and be pastor and shepherd this church family. And it's easy for me to get so focused on that. And I, it's depending on what I can do. And all I find is that leads me to be anxious. Versus surrendering to his story and what he is doing. And this happens for all of us. We have something in front of us that we want to say we can do, but we, we experience we don't have peace. And he's leading us to let it go. And I just want to say there's no greater story to be told. You never regret pouring into him. The kind of life that he wants to, us to lead, to lead. In, the, in this city, in this time to engage here in this culture, what a gift 
What a gift. This is the Christmas story. You can hardly find anyone. One day, somebody will tell your story in relationship to the light of the world. Whose story do you want to tell? The good news is, the darkness has not put this life out in you. This light out of life, the life in you, has not been put out. You are invited to engage this Christmas season. No matter your circumstances, I want to invite you to engage Christ. Maybe it's just coming back to Him and just re-engaging this story and just taking a step today. Maybe this Christmas season is the place where you're like, I'm ready to surrender my life and, and take this step and follow Him and be baptized. I don't know if that's where you're at, but wherever you're at this spectrum, you're invited to engage. Maybe your circumstances aren't looking like you wanted it to and you just it won't fix itself. And I just want to invite you to engage Christ. Find a place to start that relationship Read scripture or pray. Something that engages you with him this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. Jesus, I thank you for your life, the significance of this story. God, I thank you that the circumstances were stacked against it, but it did not thwart anything that your will wanted to happen. Your kingdom. And you stood before us 30 years later and said that, that my church will continue, it will prevail, and, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And everything you said has come true. And that is the foundation we can stand on today. And I pray that we would. I pray that we would experience your life this week. We ask this all in your name.